and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. This is a podcast all about tabletop games, which are board games, card games, role-playing games, and everything of that sort. My name is Delton, I'll be your host today, and with me is Haley, my co-host and wife. And yellow player. And usually the yellow player. You cannot forget that. I that cannot. That is my identity. This is episode number 41, so we are on our way to episode 50, which is great and crazy. I feel like I say it's crazy, the number of the episode every episode, but to me, it really is crazy. Right, that this has been going on for so long, so many episodes, every other week, for an eternity. Basically. Yes. I'm fine with it. We've had a lot of stuff going on the last two weeks. The last two weeks. So... Our banter is going to be a bit long today, just a fair warning. Because, Hold on to your hats. Because we went on two trips, that's right, count them, two trips between the last episode's recording and this episode. So, the first trip we went to was to the state of Ohio to the Boga Gaming Retreat, where we hung out with the one and only Alan Girding, who is also a Patreon backer of ours. Thank you, Alan, for backing our Patreon. Also, thank you, Allison, and thank you, Jesse and Catherine. Thank you. You guys all rock. But Alan invited us up to go to the Boga Gaming Retreat. Now, Boga, I believe, is the board game organization of Greater Akron. It's basically Akron and Cleveland are kind of like a, it's a metro. Oh, I never thought to ask what that stood for I believe the entire that's, time I was there. I believe that's what it is. But they do a retreat where they go to a campground, somewhere you would have like summer camp as a kid, and just hang out and play games. And that's what we did. That's the story. Bye. Not really. No. But it was a very good trip. Haley, do you want to start off the storytelling of this trip and some of the things we did? I would love to. Before we get into the story, let's open up the first beer of this episode. The Coffee Porter. So this beer is from Walnut River Brewing Company, which is out of El Dorado, Kansas. Uh, This is the El Dorado Coffee Porter. It is 6.6 alcohol by volume, and I don't see any description on the can to tell me some sort of flavor profile or anything. Being a coffee porter, I'm going to suggest notes of coffee, toasted malt, fairly sweet, darkened in color. Get you drunk enough to get into a fist fight after work. It probably would. Let's see. Ooh, it looks like a coffee porter. So this is a beer. As I said, it's out of El Dorado, Kansas. We will get to why we have a beer from Kansas here shortly. Spoiler alert, we went to Kansas. Well, we went through Kansas. We went through Kansas. Thank you. It smells like a coffee porter. Does it have that nice smell? Mm, It smells like coffee and caramel. Yeah, and that's pretty, pretty traditional on point for that. How's the taste? It's more coffee-y than a lot of coffee porters. This does have a very strong coffee flavor. I really just feel like I'm drinking coffee. It's smooth. It's lightly carbonated. It's very good. It produced a nice head on pour, which is good. That doesn't always happen with a heavier beer. I feel like I always expect it, but it never quite comes to where it needs to be. It's very good. Mm. It is a very upfront coffee taste. It's a little thick. On the like back end, on the mouthfeel, but it has a nice crispness to it on top, which is kind of strange, but very good. I like it. It's a solid beer. It's a little more refreshing for a coffee porter. That's exactly, that's the, the crispness. It's that refreshed, I don't know, it's almost like you said, like a cold coffee. Yeah, it's like a cold brew. With a little bit of alcohol in it. Blessed. I'll take it. 
So I'm going to start off by talking about our trip. So first of all, it was summer camp for big kids. Like, really, we stayed in camp cabins or just like the ones we stayed at in church camp, except I didn't have to go to a make-believe mass in the middle of the dining hall, which was great. I never went to camp as a kid because A, we were poor, and B, church camp did not ever sound like any fun. So this was my first camp-like experience. Ever. Ever. And I'm here to tell you, it was just like summer camp, except we didn't have required activities that made you go outside and get sunburned and get bit by bugs. This was the perfect camp for me. This, If I would have gone to this as a kid, this would have been my dream camp. We literally slept in bunk beds in a cabin. We all shared a bathroom. We would walk together to the mess hall and play board games all day. We would eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We would take a nap in our bunk beds. Then we would go play board games all evening. Then we'd make more peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and order in Postmates because we're still hungry at 9 o'clock at night. Then we'd go play more board games till about 3 or 4 in the morning. Then we would crash, run off about 2.5 seconds of sleep. Then we'd get up and we'd play board games and we'd eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And then we'd go and we'd take a nap and we'd play more board games and it was great. That went on a bit long, but yes, that was the entire experience. Did I miss anything? Not really. No, not really. That was really. basically the whole time. That was we basically made it. lots of friends made lots and lots of friends and had a fantastic time. So basically, we flew into Cleveland and Alan graciously picked us up from the airport and we got to see his childhood home, which was awesome. A big old house by a lake on a bunch of land. It was really cool. And then we got to see his current house, meet his dogs, and they were the sweetest pups. Got to meet his lovely wife. Met his wife. We got to see his game room. They let us steal some blankets and pillows. Because we were ill-prepared because of me. That's okay. In Delton's defense, he had never been to camp before. So I asked Delton, you know, we're going to camp. Do we need to, like, pack sleeping bags, pillows and blankets, towels? Nah, it's all going to be provided. Did you ask? Yeah. Did you ask? Yeah. Because you know what happened? I didn't ask. He didn't ask. He assumed that (laughs) camp meant that all this stuff was going to be provided. He didn't know that you're going to be walking into a cabin with a bunk bed and a plastic mattress from 1973 that smells like a foot. And have no blinkies. Again, I've never been to camp, so I don't know these things. However, it's fine. We got to camp, got to hang out, and pretty much started playing games right away. And we got to play a lot of games we've never played before. Some classics, like we got to play Pit, which I was terrible at. I jumped on the table. Multiple times. Multiple times. So with Pit, you're basically playing the stock market. It's kind of what the premise is. Basically, yeah. And All real time. Whoever gets a whole set in their hands of a set of all seven the same, I believe that's right, all seven the same? I think so. They have to ring the bell, and that signifies the end of the round, and that person wins. Well, we're at this really long rectangular table, and everybody's playing in the middle. I'm at the very end of the table, and I get a whole handful of, I forget, was it grain or corn or something like that? Something. And so I can't reach the bell. So I just jump on the table and slid like a penguin until I hit that bell. You know what? I won that round. She did, but she did not win the game. Tyler beat me by about 10 points. Hi, Tyler. He did. He beat you by about 10 points. It was awesome. He's our new friend as well as Ken. Yeah, Tyler and Ken and Laura. And we got to see Lindsay and Isaac. And of course, Alan. And of course, Alan. And then we met a bunch of other people too. And we saw Ben. Yes, we get to see Ben. Hi, Ben. Hi, Ben. In case he listens to this episode, which he probably will. Which... He brought us some libations that we will be using in our future podcast episode where we discuss a very special game made by... Ben. Ben. (laughs) So we are saving those for the moment. 
But yes, we played Pit. We got to play Ink and Gold, which I had never played before. And we played Startups from Oink Games. We played a fantastic prototype that we can't really talk about. Oh my gosh. We played it for, what, two? We played it twice. It was the same game, an extension of the same game, but yep. it probably in total took us four hours. Probably. And I was ready to play it again. It was wonderful. It's very, very good. Basically, I played this at BGG Con in the fall, and I mentioned it, that it was a new Plat Hat game going to be coming out from Isaac. And it's the same thing that we played this time with updates, and we're super excited, and I'm even more excited about it, and I wish we could really go into details about what it's about and how it plays and things like that, but I'm just, I'm ready for it. Me too. And we had the perfect environment for it as well in a little quiet library, which we played several games in. We really or at did. least we played Pit there, we played that, and at least we chatted some in that room too, but it was nice and quiet away from everyone. And then we also played Werewolves in the Dark. This, I think aside from the prototype, this was our game of this retreat. We played it for like three hours until about 3.30 in the morning, and we were extremely sweaty and we were done, but we had the best time. I will preface with, this game I do not believe is out to purchase. It does have a link on BGG. But essentially, the premise of the game is werewolf, except instead of just sitting in a circle and somebody's moderating and pointing to people or something like that, you actually turn the lights off in a room after everyone knows their roles, and then you physically move around the room. And if you're a villager, you hide or try to keep away from the werewolves. As a werewolf, you try to sneak up somebody and tap them three times, tap, 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 which will kill them and they have to sit down on the floor. So this is kind of a blending of werewolf and a game, I guess, called Murder in the Dark? Yes. And my goodness, it was the most fun. Except everybody kept thinking I was the werewolf because I was the werewolf one time. That's true, but people learn, oh, (laughs) we're not going to pick Haley. Look at her. There's no way. And then you are, and they're like, you know what? We're not going to let you get away with it again. So it was like for the next three games, I kept being chosen as a werewolf. I'm like, come on, guys. I'm the seer. I could help you, but no. But no, I was a seer once and didn't do anything with it. I was going to use it as a safety mechanism. So when somebody got close enough. So as the seer, when you're near somebody, you can whisper like, are you a werewolf? And they have to answer you with the truth. But what it means is if you ask a werewolf, you are basically protected from that single werewolf from killing you. So it can be used as a defense mechanism instead of an active searching for a werewolf. The way it comes to daytime, that's with the lights off, windows, curtains closed, you can't see anything. Dark. And we had music playing. Ken puts on like the Arkham Horror LCG soundtrack. And on top of all this, it's in an old cabin from like 1946 that's about 3,000 square feet. And there's nothing in there but a few tables and some folding chairs and refrigerators. So there's there's this ominous going on because the refrigerators are older than we are. Oh, yeah, and then you just hear footsteps running behind you and, and they go across the ground. And just you, do, 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 do. you can't see anything. And then you have Alan hiding on top of refrigerators. <laughs> and falling on your head. And falling on my head. And then hiding on the stalls and the toilets. But it's it was a super, super, super fun game to play. You can do this with your werewolf at home if you have werewolf or you can print it or you can you know proxy werewolf and be able to play it. It only had, or at least we only played with, the werewolves, a hunter who could kill anybody, but he's on the villager team, and then the seer, who I already discussed, which is on villager team. That's all we played with, but my goodness, we had a blast with this game. 
I really cannot wait until somebody needs to publish this and come up with more and more roles for it that are functioning. Because the thing is, traditional werewolf roles, like the Troublemaker for One Night Ultimate, won't really work in this situation of switching people's roles. You probably could if you had a table and everybody's place was kept. But that would be clunky in the dark. Somebody could just watch the chairs and try to figure out silhouettes and stuff. I thought it was being published. I don't know. That was his copy that he had printed from the Game Crafter. He submitted his files and got his own like prototype copy, is what it was. And then he sent it to Alan to play. And so we played it, because he thought they'd like it. And we loved it. I think everybody had a great time. We sure did. We played it for three hours straight. And it was. it's not easy to get all of us nerds to be physically active. But we were. For three and a half hours, about. Yep. It was a super fun game. So we played that all night, one of the nights. And then, I mean, we played a lot of different games. And then it was a great trip. Fantastic trip. The trip home. Oh, the trip home, which... Let's make this a short version. First of all, our first Uber or first Lyft went to the wrong place and wouldn't answer her call. Yay, GPS. So we had to get a second Lyft. And by the time we took that second lift and got to the airport and got through security, we had eight minutes left till our flight left. They ran out of storage, basically took our carry-on bags. We always packed just carry-on. Got on the plane, got to from Ohio to Dallas. We're in Dallas. Our plane got delayed multiple times because a stewardess or a steward wasn't available. So finally at midnight, it was canceled. So they, for about an hour and a half, we waited until they gave us a hotel room. We walked out of the terminal. We go to access our hotel room on the app or on our phone, and they had ran out of hotel room, so we're locked in outside of the terminal that doesn't open for another three hours because it's after midnight. I did not know the TSA shut down Uh, until 3 a.m. at the Dallas airport. So we're like trying to page American Airlines, call them, page them from the outside. Finally, we get our hotel room at like 3 o'clock in the morning. No flights. Rental cars are like $500 for that three-hour drive from Dallas to Oklahoma City. 260 but that's a lot. So we schedule a lift in the morning because it was only going to be $200 to lift from Dallas, Texas to Oklahoma City. We, the lift gets there, picks us up, sees, I don't know if he just now registered that we're going to Oklahoma City. I don't know, something, but. But he said, I can't do this and dropped us off across the street. We go to the, to the airport, uh, try to get a rental car, can't find where the rental cars are. I lose my marbles. Delton goes up to the front. We had two people drop off the standby list at the eight or 10 o'clock flight going back to Oklahoma City. We got on that plane. I was in an extra large pro wrestling t-shirt with greasy hair and no makeup looking like a 12-year-old. TSA thought I was an unaccompanied minor. We got on the plane, got to Oklahoma City during the biggest storm cell extravaganza of the entire season. We've had a lot of storm cells lately. Finally got home. At about 4 o'clock p.m. on Monday, we're supposed to be home Sunday. Well, we got home at like 1 o'clock. It's just we had stuff to do. We got home, we had laundry to do and dishes to do and had to get stuff ready. On top of that, our flight couldn't land because the flight before us had an emergency landing and there were parts all over the runway. Yeah, which is great. So a gigantic fiasco of getting home from that trip. and By God, we made it home. It's the one time that a free hotel room is not exciting. Like, normally you're like, yeah, we get to stay in a hotel. We're going to sleep in a big cushy bed, watch some TV. But for us, it was like 2.30 when we got into the hotel room, and we're just exhausted, and we're like, how do we get home? We've got to get home, feed the cats, 
Like, there's supposed to be storms coming in, and we don't know how everything's going to be, and it was just ridiculous. Shout out to Allison for offering to come into our house and take our cats to her storm shelter. And Allison, thank you, and Brian for feeding the cats while we were gone, because that's always a hassle. Steve's just a jerk. He is. So that was the first trip. I told you banter was going to be a while. (laughs) The second trip is much easier, not much easier to talk about, less board game focused, so we can go through it a little faster for you. We went to Kansas City in Missouri. We stayed on the Missouri side almost the whole time with Zach and Sarah, some really good friends of ours. Hi, Zach and Sarah. This was their baby moon because they are having a little girl and they wanted to go on one more kind of vacation trip before they have the child that way because they know they'll be locked down for a little bit until the baby's old enough to go somewhere for several days or something. We had so much fun. Zach's a vegan as well, so we got to have so much vegan food together. And luckily Sarah's fine with it. She's like, I don't care. I can figure out something. Like, you know, vegan food's still good and she knows that, which is nice. But we went to Kansas City. We just drove up after work on Friday night. It's about, without stops, it's like a four and a half to five hour drive from us. So we went to Tulsa, met with them. Zach hopped in with me. We drove to Kansas City. Then basically all we did was we woke up, we got breakfast, we looked around some shops, we got lunch, we took a nap, we went to a museum. World War I Museum. We tried to play a few games, and then we went to bed. And then the next day, we did the same thing, but we scheduled naps every day, and it was the best. It was wonderful. Plus, we went to a bookstore. Yeah, we went to an awesome three-level bookstore. We got to go to the World War I Museum, which is like the National World War I Museum, and it's fantastic. I got to be a tour guide. Haley was explaining everything. It's kind of overwhelming. The place is huge. You really need a whole day if you're going to read and try to absorb everything. I think the craziest thing for me was the cannon shell crater. Like, if somebody shoots a tank shell, where it hits, the hole it creates is massive. And that was, like, thinking about that. It's about 25 feet tall or deep. It was, like, 20 feet deep by, like, 30 feet around. And they said that they would shoot off thousands of those a day. And it was just like, this is insane. That's too much. It just kind of sadness sets in for a minute. But. Fantastic museum, worth checking out. Memorial Day weekend. It is only $10, not $20 for an entry, which is cool. Blessed. And then we got to go to the Nelson Atkins Museum. Is that what it is? Yes. The Nelson Atkins Art Museum, which is free entry, which was mind-blowing because the quality is amazing. Fantastic facility. Great artwork. I got to see a real-life Caravaggio, which was awesome for me. I got to see a painting of a cat. A painting of several cats. Several cats. We got to see baby Steve Bashimi. Yes. I will <laughs> have Delton post that on the Malt House Games. I have it posted on my Twitter. I'll have him retweet it. But it there was, was a Renaissance Steve Bushimi baby. Supposed to be Jesus. Just weird looking. Like, you know how some of those paintings are in the early Renaissance, especially. It looked like Steve Bushimi, though, y'all. It was ridiculous. It, it had was. the eyes. <laughs> that was the main thing was the eyes. It was funny. But fantastic museum. That was a really good time. We had plenty of coffee, tons of good vegan food. I think we had a great time with vegan food all around. We did get to go to Tabletop Game and Hobby, which I discussed this a while back when we went to Kansas City on a bachelor party trip. We met Tobias. Hi, Tobias. We got to meet Tobias, who is the cat there at Tabletop Game and Hobby, and it is a polydactyl cat. He was voted the best personality in Kansas City last year. Beat out the mayor and like all these news people. It's because he's amazing. We got to pet him. He ran around a little bit. He has huge paws because one paw's got like two extra toes. One's got one. I think Zach counted and he had 27 toes. Something like that. But awesome cat. Amazing game store. 
Second time I've been in, it's always clean. The staff are always really nice. Highly recommend checking that out over, I think it's on Metcalf in Overland Park in Kansas City yes. area. It's, it's worth checking out if you go through. But we had a fantastic trip. No hiccups, luckily, with travel. A little bit with the Airbnb and the air conditioning. That's but fine. we got that figured out. We were able to cool it down. And it was a great trip. But that's what we've been doing since the last episode is going on a couple trips and getting these plans knocked out one after another and having a great time in the process. Yes, we did. So with those trips, of course, you know, one trip was especially for board games. It was a board game retreat. The other trip was just a regular old vacation with friends. But of course, we bring along board games because of the people of that we are. And today, we wanted to talk about one of those games that we played on both trips. Oh, here's the door. Uh, uh. It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. But before we do that, more beer, please, sir. So this second beer is from Kansas City Craft Brewers. It is handcrafted in Kansas City, it says. It is a red lager. On the back of the can... It is 5.8 alcohol by volume with an IBU international bittering units of 24, which is low. It says the grain, it's made with two-row pale ale, Munich, uh, aromatic, Vienna, and special B. I don't know what special B is. Then the hops, it uses nugget and holler tower, and then it finishing hops with centennial. And it tells you actually the way first hop edition's one hour in, second hop's 30 minutes, then 15 minutes, and then one late hop edition to finish says, Kansas City Craft Brewers is a collection of Kansas City area beer professionals assembled to make great beer and have it widely available in the Kansas City market area. I, there's a comma, not a period. Should have phrased that differently. Local beer by local folks for local folks. Cool. So this is another one from our Kansas City trip. We stopped in Wichita, Kansas to pick these up at a very big liquor store that had a ton of stuff. I do not remember the name. But it was open on Memorial Day which the workers were not very fond of. I misread the situation and commented that it was great and it was kind yeah. of awkward for a second. Poor Delton. The guy was complaining that he had to work on Memorial Day. And he's like, but y'all are open on Memorial Day. <laughs> it's good for us, bad good for you. <laughs> and he just, he, it didn't click with Delton that this guy was salty. I've been there, done that with, you know, having, I've been on his side, basically, and working in the banking when we're open on Labor Day and we're open on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. People are like, why are you open? And I, my, my first question is, why did you come in? <laughs> <laughs> because of you. Whoa, that's like a five-inch head, Delton. It's not supposed to be that way. I was hoping it wouldn't foam that much. I'll take that one. Sorry. That's okay. While you're trying to figure out the beer situation, should I tell them about my turtle experience? Do it. So while Delton is waiting for that five-inch head to go down, he just added two, so now it's like six. I was chased by a turtle last week. An uh, alligator snapping turtle, which if you don't know what they are, they're horrifying. So I was bebopping along the cold, hard streets of Edmond, going to Deer Creek schools for my counseling supervision, and I see a turtle in the middle of the road. It's this big old snapping turtle, about 25 pounds, 20, 25, big boy. But, you know, everyone who grows up in western Oklahoma is endowed with some sort of redneck power. Mine is picking up turtles and making biscuits. What is yours? My redneck power? Yes, everybody has a redneck power. Uh, what would mine be? I don't know. You can fix anything. I'm just like, this isn't working. What's wrong with it? And I just start taking stuff apart until it works. Yeah, you yeah, just okay. kind of rig I'll, stuff together until it works. I'll take it. So my redneck powers is picking up turtles and making biscuits. So I see this turtle in the middle of the road, and I'm like, oh, snap, it's a turtle. And I get out of my car, and oh, snap, it's a snapping turtle. So covered in mud. Well, we've had a lot of rain up here, so we're trying 
so we have turtles like crossing the road like crazy. I'm like, well, I'm going to try and reroute this little bugger. Uh, he's covered in mud. He's snapping turtle. So I throw my blanket over him and I grab him from behind the head and in the back. And the bugger just starts biting the heck out of this blanket because he's a snapping turtle. It's just hissing, biting, hissing, biting, hissing, biting. So finally I got him turned around and going toward the ditch. And I yank my blanket off and I start walking away. I turn around to see what he's doing and he starts chasing me. But he's not just chasing me. He's biting the air and hissing and chasing me going, <sighs> just running after me. So I went, oh my God. And I just took off running about 100 yards away from my car. In this 50 mile per hour speed zone, I just took took off running 100 yards, make a big old circle around, got into my car, and drove off. And that is how I got chased by a snapping turtle. If you don't know what an alligator snapping turtle looks like, just look it up. They have a very powerful bite. They are very aggressive. Their mandibles are just unrealistically strong. Oh, yes. Their, their bite pressure is insane. But look them up on, like, YouTube Actually, the Jinx Aquarium, which is part of Tulsa Jinxes, basically, they have like the world record biggest snapping turtle, and he's gigantic. But well, I was cruising back home, like after supervision, I was going back, and I saw another snapping turtle on the side of the road. And I was like, man, I'm still kind of shaken from being, I've never been chased by a turtle, ever. In my 27 years on God's green earth, I've never been chased by a turtle, especially a snapping turtle. So I roll up next to this turtle, and it's a small 10, 15 pound one, and I just, and full of fear, I turn and I make direct eye contact with it. It makes direct eye contact with me and slides sideways back into the ditch. And I was like, all right. You're good. He's safe good. and you're fine. I'm safe and I'm fine. I drove home. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, new beer is poured. Blessed. Now that the turtle story has been told. I feel like we've just had so much happen since the last episode. It smells like a good lager. It smells like you put your face in a thing of rye. It's pretty accurate. It's got a nice taste to it. Not too hoppy. Got a little bit of that malt forward. Oh, man, that's sweet. It is very sweet, especially coming off of the coffee porter. It tastes like how alfalfa smells. I will disagree with that. This doesn't taste or smell like alfalfa to me. It is very malt forward, though, so you get a lot of the malt flavor. There's not many much hop flavor in there, as some lagers, most lagers are. So today, moving on past the ridiculous amounts of banter. Stories. Hey, I just like to say I started listening to Kyle Kinane's podcast, and it is an hour to an hour and a half long, and it might be 15 minutes of ghost stories. The rest of it is just banter about burritos. Yeah, them just being comedians. Yeah. That sounds right. So today, the one game that we played on both trips that we wanted to talk about today is Decrypto from Yellow Games. Decrypto is designed by Thomas Dagonias Lesperance. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. There's an, ac uh, a, uh, an accent there that I'm pretty sure I missed. The creative director is Manuel Sanchez. 2D artist is Nils, N-I-L-S. 3D artists are Fabian Fulcaron and Manuel Sanchez. And the editor is Danny Lowe Sterfone. So Decrypto is a game that comes in the same vein for me as Codenames. The way that you play the game is your team has four words that all of you are looking at, and the other team has four words they're looking at. Those words stay the same the whole game. Whoever gives a clue draws a card. Those words are numbered one, two, three, four. You look at the card if you're the clue giver, and it could be four, two, one. You then write down three clues on your piece of paper. There's these little sheets that you keep track with. And you have to write down a clue to get your teammates to guess your three-digit code, which would be 4, 
two, one. So your first clue references word in the fourth position. The second clue references the word in the second position in this case, the third one in the first position, if that makes sense, four, two, one. Your opponent will do the same thing. After the first round, you check to see, make sure that all your teammates get it right. You want them to get it right, because if they don't get it right two times throughout the game, your team loses. After the first round, if you can guess the numbers of your opponent's clues, if you can get their three-digit number correct, you get a point, and if you get two of those interception points, is what they're called, then you can win the game. So the way it works is you give a clue, you want it to be ambiguous enough that your opponent cannot figure it out, and you want your team, though, like specific enough that your team can get it. Because you will keep track of every clue given, and you will keep track of all your opponents. So if your opponent gives a clue that's fur, claws, and poop, and that's all been clues for the card in the first position, you now have a better idea of the type of clues that will be for a card in the first position. It's a kitty. It could either be a cat or it could be a bear. So immediately there's already options, right? Or it could be Cruella DeVille. It could be Cruella DeVille. Yeah, she's cruel. Yay. Ah. Yeah. But that's how the game's going to play. You'll go back and forth. You'll write your clues down. You'll check with each other to make sure your teams didn't intercept, things like that. That's essentially how the game's going to work. It's a very fun game. It's kind of weird to explain, and it's kind of weird to teach, but once somebody has played the very first little set of clues, they've got it. But it's been really fun because you get the opportunity to use clues, and now the clues don't have to be one word. They can be sentences, songs, you can hum it, you can dance it, charades, anything you want to do, as long as your team gets it and your opponent does not. That is the big key for this game. But we've had a lot of fun with it. I think it's one that takes code names and makes it a little more interactive for you and your team and kind of breaks, because code names is sort of the party word game. I feel like this, for especially bigger groups, can be a good replacement to that because everyone's active the whole time. Yes, it is. I liked it, though, because I felt like with people I knew and people that I didn't know, it was a great game. The first time we played this, we played it with, I mean, half the people we were playing with on our team and on the opposing team, we, we didn't know who they were. And so, you know, some of those guessing games, you feel like you need to have a good relationship with somebody because you have to give them a clue where they, that they can identify and get it right. But with Decrypto, I felt like it was easier. I felt like it was still great if you had players on your team that you had never met before. You're still able to communicate your clues to them in a way that they will understand. I think part of that, now Zach did have this criticism. He didn't like that the game specifically forbids like inside jokes or things between people. So basically that would mean if me and Haley are on the same team and I'm giving a clue, I can't give a clue focused on what we had for breakfast. Or I can't say soulless for Delton to say. Horse, because that's something that only <laughs> Haley would know. But when I hear the word soulless, I think of either ginger or horse. And it, it forbids those things partially because that means the other team will never be able to have a chance to get it, but it also, if you have a big enough team, that means everybody else is kind of like, oh, okay, well, I guess, you know, we shouldn't even care about that one because they've got it. Zach had the criticism that we're trying to win. We don't want them to guess it. We should be using those because we'll make sure to win using those. And I understand that. It, you know, for me, I don't mind it. I actually like that they don't, not using inside things like that. That way, 
it does prevent just a stalemate of nobody's getting anywhere. Right. But this could also make Delton cringe, but you could house rule it. Like if, You could. Like with Zach and Sarah and I, um, and Delton and I, we have a pretty good relationship. Our friendship goes back about, what, five years now? Maybe. And so we have some inside jokes, especially if we do, like, me and Zach on a team, Delton and Sarah on a team, or me and Sarah on a team, Zach and Delton on a team. Then we have the opportunity to use some of those inside jokes that all of us know as well. Yeah, then it would be different because we all are aware of it. You know, so that's a criticism, though, that's valid. Uh, I think my other big criticism of the game, or my big one, is that it feels slightly mechanical in nature in that you give your you write your clues down, your opponents write their clues down. Your team guesses what they are, their team guesses what theirs are. Then we have the other team tell us their guess, and we tell them if they're correct or not, then we write their stuff down. Then we tell them our guess, and they write down if it's correct or not, and we write down their stuff. And so it can be a little mechanical in operation after you set the clues, However, I don't think it detracts enough for me not to want to play this game when we have, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight people. It goes up to eight. One thing I really enjoy, though, is that since you have to give clues, unlike something like code names, since you have to give clues that you don't want your opponent to intercept, which is the big key here, I like that you have to find a balance between ambiguous clues and specific clues. Which we'll get into in a hot second. We will, but I always enjoy that line. With code names, there's no need, for the most part, to be ambiguous about a clue. Right. The ambiguity is only there because it helps you spread to multiple cards, where in this game, it's necessary to not let your opponents get. And so I really enjoy that about it, though. I like trying to find that line. Something else I should mention is you cannot repeat clues in this game. So if your clue is cat, and you don't want your opponents to figure it out, so you're not going to say litter. You're not going to say, you know, I don't know, purr. But you might say scratch. Well, anything can scratch you. They'll probably think it's an animal, but they don't know. But then if your next thing you say pride, like a pride of lions, your team might get, oh, well, that's obviously for cat because they can see your clue. But the opponent now is confused, pride and scratch. But they still might put that together. So you have to keep developing the clues that you're giving as the game goes on, and I really enjoy that aspect as well because it makes you constantly be thinking about a new way to present information without your opponents figuring it out and trying to break the chain of what you've got already down as clues. So I just think that that's a really neat uh, line that it's found. I do too. And I really like this game because I love clue-giving games. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top-shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So for the topic today, we wanted to talk about clue-giving games because, as you can tell from Decrypto, you're giving clues to your team, hiding them from your opponents. I like clue-giving games a lot because depending on the crowd you're playing with, depending on the set of friends you have over, you have very different clues, very different interpretations of either cards or words or connections, and I love that. So even if you're playing with the same deck of cards, same, let's say with Decrypto, you're playing with the same group of words, with a different friend group, you're going to get different ways of looking at and making connections with those words. And so it's still a fresh game. It adapts based on who you're playing with. Yes. Yeah, and that does. That makes it fantastic because uh, let's say, for example, it's just fun writing that line of this is a reference everybody should get. But if somebody doesn't get it and they argue something else and convince your team to guess something different, you can ruin a clue. 
Which again, we will get to. We will get to these things. But clue-giving games are always fun. Another word-based clue-giving game that we have found a lot of fun with, even though we do not yet own the physical copy, is Just One. Yes, we have proxied the heck out of this game, but we love it. We got to play the physical real copy at the Boga Retreat, which was a lot of fun. You did. I, I was eating a sandwich. That's true. You were eating and watching while we played. Basically, in that game, it's uh, one person has to guess a word, and everyone else at the table writes a different word referencing it somehow or related to it somehow. But if two of those words ever match or more, then you don't get to see them as the guesser. So if Haley writes tree and Brian writes tree, they look at all their stuff. Those two, I no longer get to see the clue for tree. I only get to see what everyone else wrote. That game's nice because if you're specific, you're going to overlap. But if you're too ambiguous, no one's going to get it. Which brings us back to Soulless. We played this with Mac and Cass a few months ago. And the word for Delton, we were trying to get him to guess, was a horse. I think Mac put... Equestrian. Uh, Cass put... I think Saddle. Saddle. And I put Soulless. Equestrian, I was like, oh, it's got to be something horse-related. And Haley put Soulless. And I was like, yep, it's horse or horses. It's a horse. It's a horse, of course, of course. Of course, of course. And it's one of those games, though, that rides that line of ambiguity and specificity. And I think that that's so good in these word clue-giving games. We already mentioned code names, which is a big one. What's another good clue game we like? Definitely Mysterium. That was one that we played quite a bit with Brian. I think it's one of Brian's favorites, isn't it? Definitely. Uh, with Mysterium, if which we've talked about before, I think in episode like six. But the ghost who has supposedly died is giving clues to the psychics to help the psychics to solve their murders. But the clues that the ghosts give are pieces of artwork. And the psychics make interpretations on that artwork and try to deduct who was the murderer or the location they were murdered in or the weapon based on what they interpret from the art pieces the ghost gives them. And this is one of those games that this is a little different in terms of clue guessing. Because in a game like Codenames, Decrypto, Just One, you're giving a clue as the main clue giver to the rest of the people at the table either cooperatively or, you know, they're your opponents, whatever, but you're giving, giving a clue to people and your clue itself finds the line between specificity and ambiguity. However, in Mysterium, the person you give the clue to is the one who's going to have to find that line. I think that's what's so different about Mysterium and why I like it, is if you're trying to send them to the barber, the one guy who's the barber, you know, he's got the white-black hair, like, uh, what is it, Sweeney Todd-style dude, and you give them a card that's got a knife on it because in the barber thing, he's got a razor blade. That's what you want them to guess, but you can't say anything. You just give them a piece of art. That's a small element of the mini on that card. So they have to determine, are you being very general? Is this card's color what you're going off of? Is the way the card looks, any movement in the card? Are you going off a specific item? Any textures drawn in the card? There's so many things, but they have to find their version of specific and ambiguous and figure out, okay, I think this is how specific it is, or this is how, you know, interpretive this clue is going to be. And I think that's what makes Mysterium such a fun clue-giving game. I know we talked about this in length before, but that's one thing that's a little different than the rest of these, but shows there's a different style of clue-giving. Right. Then the other big one is Deception, Murder in Hong Kong. Which is kind of a similar clue-giving mechanic as Mysterium. 
similar, but it's word-based. It's word-based. focused on items. So it's a little different, but it's kind of a blend of the two. Right. But again, all of these games, I mean, this one person could give the same clue to four different people, and people might have different interpretations of it. So I, I love the clue-giving part because it's so open to interpretation. You, you know, you give those clues purposefully, but you still have to rely on the other person making the same connections you do. So I can, I can only imagine what it would be like to play these games with someone from like a different culture or a different country. You know, the connections that we make, you know, are they the same connections that someone else will make? And not even just culture or country, but especially, I mean, this sort of goes hand in hand with that, but language. Someone right. who English is not their, well, I should say American English is not their first language then, I mean, even somebody from England, I feel like it would be interesting because there are so many differences right. in true British English versus, you know, English English, and even then versus somebody from Germany who's learning English in school or Sweden. I feel like even just in that, all that can speak English, but it's all different. So I think that would be really interesting for us to play with people from other cultures. Like you said, it would, it would change how you have to think about things. Right. And that being said, you know, with these clue-giving games, you know, a lot of times whenever you give a clue, the other person does make that connection. I mean, at least in our experience. However, there are quite a few times where that can also go really wrong. And now, join us for a Malt House Games podcast special, Pint Size Question. So for the question of the episode to wrap this puppy up, I don't know why you're wrapping a puppy up. Please do not wrap actual puppies. Puppies are forever, not just for Christmas. There you go. To the Sia Christmas album. I shouldn't know that immediately. We wanted to ask the question of, what is a time that we gave a clue and it went awry? Or basically, we just failed. Yeah, I thought I had the best clue at the Boga Retreat. I was so proud of it. I was waiting. I was the last person to give clues, and I was waiting my turn. I had to get them to guess. Diver, aquarium, and war. And one word that I don't really remember. But diver and war are the two that I'm going to be talking about. So, you know, in the in the game Decrypto, you have to give a clue that's vague enough that the other team won't get it, but specific enough that your team will instantly make the connection. Well, I had the word diver. And I was like, oh, man, Delton and I always sing Holy Diver by... Dio. By Dio. And it's a popular song, so anybody yeah. would get it, so it's public knowledge. So I was like, oh, my turn. Oh, hell yeah. Holy. He's going to get Holy Diver. What did I do? I chose Holy War. Based on a book he gave me for Christmas like three years ago that I loved. I gave her a book that's on the Holy Wars, and obviously it's, like- It's on World War One. Exactly. And I even, even the other teammates were like, no, Holy War, because everybody knows that, you know, the Holy War, they've heard that before. So this was one of those times, and I picked the wrong way. I thought I was catering to Dalton's metalheadedness. He thought I was catering to my World War I obsession. But no. But no. This happened again during that, day, that game, because I gave the clue Wallaby, hoping that Dalton would get Aquarium because of the address to Nemo. What is yeah, it? Yeah, on Finding Nemo, it's like 42 Wallaby Way Sydney or something like that. Right, and so I was like, Wallaby, he'll get Aquarium. Nope, he got Diver. So in in Haley's mind, she was thinking, okay, Wallaby, because of that address, and that address is where that aquarium is located. Because that's the dentist office. The dentist office. In my brain, I went, okay, that address was first seen when Dory 
and Nemo's dad read the scuba diver's mask. So scuba diver, and I picked diver. Which is, that's totally my fault, man. Those are both valid. I mean, that's the thing is this is that line of a little ambiguous, but if you would have written the entire sentence, it wouldn't have changed it and the opponents could have guessed better. Right. So it was like, oh no, what do we do? But it worked out. We still won because we guessed two of their words in the end. Wallaby was for war. Yeah, yeah, the war wallabies. War wallabies. Terrifying. So Delton, tell us about a time whenever you... I screwed up. So Brian loves to bring this one up. We were playing a game and we were playing with the, I think it's like Secrets and Lies expansion and Mysterium. And it comes down to one person left, I think, that hadn't got through, wasn't it, Cass? I think I was giving the clue to Cass. However, the card I gave was like a green-tinted card. It had a pool table. It almost looked like a poker, like, slash pool, hall, parlor sort of feel to it. Well, the thing I was trying to get her to guess was green. And I was going based off the color. And Brian made the, the comment, like, a, like the color of the card, just yeah. the, the whole hue of the card was green. And so I was hoping that that was enough where all my other clues were much more specific than that. And Brian said, I swear if this is green, I'm going to come across this table. <laughs> and sure enough, I gave the clue based on the color and uh, it was not well received. And we lost because of that. I was a bad, bad ghost. And your soul is haunting the haunted house forever. There you go. There you go, sadly. But, you know, with these clue-giving games, that's part of the fun is you're going to mess up sometimes, and it's usually hilarious, but worth it every time. But, like, you get your confidence so high, like, holy diver. I was like, yeah, he's going to get it. Holy diver, it's going to be a great round. And he went, holy world. It's like, ah, hell. Exactly, just everything crumbles down around you. Oh, it's the best. And then that means that another clue is missed, and sometimes even another clue is missed, and you're like, dang it to hell. Yep, we're just bad at these games sometimes. Yeah, but they're still fun. But that's the fun of these games. I think that nicely wraps up this episode. Sorry, it's a little long. However, we needed to tell our stories. We had lots of them. We had plenty of them. I still got more, but you'll have to wait until next episode because I'm sleepy. There you go. If you would like to, please share this episode, rate it, and subscribe. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes if you would. You can check us out on all social media at Malthouse Games, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S. You can find me personally at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. And you can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. Squirrely Geek. If you have a topic you would like us to cover, a question for us to answer on the show, or even a game you want us to take a look at and you want to hear our thoughts about, email us, contact at malthousegames.com. Until then, Delton is in a Valhalla shirt with no pants. <laughs> that is true, and I won't put pants on for a few more minutes at least. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you later. Goodbye. Goodbye.